and we are live. JT here, and welcome to The Huddle. The Huddle is where I sit down with successful people from the world of sport and coaching. It's to learn more about their journey to greatness. Why do I have these conversations? Because success always leaves clues. I want to take a moment to thank you, whether you are watching on YouTube or on Facebook, or whether you're listening to the audio on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me and my special guest today. And here's my friendly reminder to you. The mind is like a parachute. It works best when it's wide open. So my challenge to you is to go all in on this conversation, to remove any distractions and get laser focused on the here and the now. And I guarantee you, you will gain a valuable nugget of wisdom that will not only help you succeed in sport, but more importantly, in the game of life. I've been looking forward to uh, my conversation with my special guest today. And uh, before we hit live, I was just sharing a story from our past in which he really enriched my life and, and sort of just sparked this curiosity to be a lifelong learner, a student, you know, in the game of life. Uh, my guest in the huddle today has had a diverse journey, like many of us. Um, he was the co-founder of Precision Nutrition and most recently has founded the Changemaker Academy. My guest in the huddle today is Dr. John Berardi. How are you today, brother? Hey, I'm doing amazing. Thank you. Thanks for the nice introduction. Uh, it was nice to reminisce about the past. Uh It'll be great to talk about the present and then dream about the future a little bit today as well. Absolutely, brother. Um, and before we get kicked off, I'm going to take a moment to count my blessings. Uh, for me, this is a daily practice. Some days I do it better than others, but I do find the days where I'm most consistent counting my blessings. I do find those days are filled with a little more love, a little more joy, a little more peace. And I'm a big believer, the biggest blessing you can give anyone is your time and energy. So I just want to thank you again for blessing us with some of your time and energy here today, brother. Thanks, man. I appreciate that shout out. And uh, same to you. Same to you. I, I was really delighted that you invited me to come talk about this stuff. Uh, as you know, I've kind of been retired for a few years now, and so I haven't been doing any podcasts. So dusted off the microphone today. <laughs> I want to see if I can still talk to people in this format without being clunky and awkward. And uh, mostly just honored to uh, come on and have a chat because not only have I been sort of quote unquote retired, but uh, I'm kind of in a period of transition and it's amazing mm -hmm. and fun and wonderful. Uh, and I'm exploring new curiosities. So to be invited to talk about some of those today is awesome because I'm all in on on what we're up to right now. I love it, brother. And uh... I'm interested to kind of just share some of the conversations you and I have and just, you know, grabbing those nuggets of wisdoms uh, from your diverse uh, journey. Awesome. So I'm curious, uh, one of the reminders I often like to give to others and most importantly myself is that life is a game and games are supposed to be fun. So I'm curious, what's an interesting fact 
Um, we, I had a coaching colleague and a good friend that will always remind me, you know, we all have these things that make us unique and different. So we might as well celebrate them. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious, what's an interesting fact about you that maybe a lot of people don't know, but you'd be open to sharing with our community today? Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, probably like the, I'll, I'll seize on the people don't know or wouldn't guess. Uh, I'm a super lazy guy. People would expect, cause I'm in good shape. I have a history of sort of bodybuilding competition. I run masters track and field. I come from the health and fitness industry. I've got four kids and we have a lot of things going on. So they would expect me to have an alarm that wakes me up super early in the morning that I have a rigorously regimented schedule that I'm just busy and doing stuff all the time, but I'm actually really lazy guy. And, uh, that often surprises people. I sleep as late as I can, as often as I can. I, uh, I like to play video games whenever I get the chance, uh, watch a lot of movies with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so on top of the things that seem productive, cause ge- mm-hmm. generally when people see the highlight reel of my life and career, they're like, man, that guy gets a lot of stuff done. Um, but I'm also super lazy and, um, the, but we can call it lazy and that has a host of negative connotations, but I, I feel like the, the flip side of that is I have a lot of rest and recovery time Mm -hmm. and and I have a lot of thinking time. Um, and I have attributed my quote unquote laziness, um, to being a gift in the sense that it often allows me to just sit quietly, uh, to, uh, regenerate and recharge between the busy work, uh, and to think of new ideas and new ways of being and set intentions for myself. So, uh, when my wife's name is Amanda, and when we first started dating, uh, we lived in her parents' place for a little while. And, um, the, uh, so they saw my routines and she comes from a, a farming family. So they're up super early and they always used to laugh about how they had had a whole day by the time I woke up. And so it was like definitely pejorative, you know, but for me, I was like, oh, this is how I operate to come up with the big things that people are impressed by in the long run. You know, it's mm-hmm. how I come up with my beliefs and my values and my purpose and my intentions. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that anyone else be this way, but it's, you know, I think most of our superpowers can also be our kryptonites and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is mine. Uh, John Berardi's a super lazy guy. <laughs> I appreciate you being so open and, and candid. And it's interesting that as you share that, like you mentioned, you know, we have this connotation, right? This negative connotation around being lazy. But I love how you sort of reframe it as prioritizing rest and recovery. Mm-hmm. Which again, as anyone who's physically active, who values health and wellness knows, you know, rest and recovery is really important. Um, and it, it's really a interesting sort of metaphor of this idea of your power really lies in being and less in the doing, right? So it's finding mm-hmm. that balance between being and, and being more, maybe doing less or, or so I'm curious, was there a particular moment in your life where you know, you, you, you gained that wisdom. Was there a coach or mentor that helped you to understand that? Or Mm -hmm. was that just something that, you know, you just woke up one day and you're like, I just want to be more. Yeah, no, it's interesting. So the, um, 
around this particular concept, like I, I, I knew I was always this way. And I, I'm also a very um, naturally introverted person. Mm. Uh, so I, I've learned social skills over the years. I've learned to be gregarious when I need to, speaking at conferences and being at events. And, you know, uh, my the reputation that I grew when I was running Precision Nutrition often put me in uh, busy public places or whatever. So I figured out how to do all that. But my preference has always been, ever since I was a little kid, I'll just rather be at home with a book. Um, and th that felt weird and awkward to me growing up. And uh, so for a long time, it was a source of, of shame. I'm like, ah, I'm not particularly skilled around people. I don't even want to be around people. And uh, when I was put in those situations, I would have, you know, rather hightailed it out of there. Um, but even like the classic introvert stuff was like, you know, my mom used to love to go to the mall and shop in the 80s and 90s. Um, and the mall would crush me. It would I, I would come home from the mall and feel like I had the flu. And I'd go to my room and draw the blinds. And and then I've come to realize since uh, Susan Cain's book was was excellent mm -hmm. about this, where she, you know, talks about the powers of introverts. Um, and uh, it sort of gives you language around the idea. Oh yeah, no, no, that's normal. Like typically, introverts are born premature. That's me. Uh, typically, introverts. Uh, it's not it's not so much of a social phenomenon as it is a stimulation phenomenon, right? You you are overstimulated by sounds and lights and noise and all the things. And so uh, people can overstimulate you also. So th that was the early cues for me. Like I'd go to the mall and I'd be wrecked. You know, my nervous system would have been spent and I need quite like no stimulation, right? Um, but still, you, you carry a lot of baggage around that. And I remember, so when I was in my late teens, early 20s, uh, a mentor of mine turned me on to the books by Ayn Rand. So she was a Russian uh, woman uh, as a teenager, moved to the States, became a sort of leading thinker, uh, turn of the century, early 19, mid 1900s. And um, rugged individualism was her thing. And so at the time, it was a philosophy that spoke to me. Nowadays, I've sort of come to balance what I learned from her with a lot of other great thinkers. But uh, she has a character in one of her books. I don't know if you've ever read The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, but um, At Atlas Shrugged has the distinction of being uh, one of the greatest selling books of all time. I think it has outsold the Bible at times, and then it's come second to the Bible at other times. Um, but uh, she basically wrote two wildly successful popular fiction books that sort of tried to encapsulate her philosophy. Uh, which was heavily colored by her time in uh, communist uh, Russia and then the move to the United States. And at that time, seeing free market economy and capitalism and its early stage. And anyway, she um, had this one character, uh, Howard Rourke, who was this famous architect of his time, modeled actually after Frank Lloyd Wright. And um, so anyway, Rourke used to work really, really hard when he was working on projects. And then he would go, he had this friend um, who had a, a private yacht or whatever, and he would go and he would just laze around for weeks at a time on the yacht, you know, in between projects. And I remember that was the first like model that matched my type of laziness. And it was celebrated in like a fictional novel from a philosopher that I respected and admired. And that was like the first moment where I was like, oh, she's actually talking about the value of this, you know, he, because he would go, he would recharge, he would, you know, 
reconnect with his priorities and his deepest sense of self and that voice inside that told him what was right and wrong, uh, and then come back into the world is strengthened in that being able to do his best work again, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh man, that's, this is not only resonant with me as a, who I am already, the tendencies I have, but it might even be something I aspire more to, you know? So rather than like, ah, I got to live with this, these particular foibles of my own, uh, I actually might aspire to, to really lean into this and do it with even more purpose and intention rather than this is how I am, but this is how I want to be. Mm. I, I, I can deeply appreciate, you know, what you're saying, what you're saying about this idea of like being an introvert, um, similar to you, that is actually where I gravitate to. Like I'm very introvert. I like being by myself. I, as much to my wife's chagrin, I have <laughs> zero problem going out to eat. I would have no problem traveling somewhere by myself and just yeah. having days to kind of just be with my thoughts and just do things. But like you you've learned, you know, I learned sort of the skill to, to be out and about, to give others your energy and enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. But why it resonates with me is a lot of the growth I've had in the last few years is learning how to, when I come home, to be able to give that same energy and enthusiasm to those closest to me. And a lot yeah. of that has been requiring to sort of like, like you find, find those periods to rest and recover and be okay with that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it, it completely resonates. Yeah. With me yeah, and, and you know, uh, something you just said triggered for me. the The idea is important for folks who may be like us um, to remember that, like anything you want to do out in the world, is a people related activity. You know what I mean? Like you can't have a career without people. You can't be involved in activity and sport without people. Everything is a people thing. You know, so uh, you know, I, I. Uh, ran a big coaching company for a lot of years and we did education and, and we did software for health and fitness professionals. And, and that company grew to about 125 full-time full benefits people. So, you know, so I had coaching, right. Then I had leadership, which is essentially coaching people who work with and for you. Um, and I had a family, right. And I realized that uh, the same skills work in every domain, like you don't need to take a coaching course and a parenting course and a leadership course. You can, um, but these are just being with people skills, right? If you want to be a great leader, be a great coach, be a great parent, be a great partner, um, be a great family member for your parents and your siblings, whatever. Um, there's only one set of skills that you need. It's the being with people skills, right? Now, what do you do if you're someone who really prefers, you know, or uh, gravitates towards not being with people, right? Well, that's a domain you need to build up in your life. And you have to appreciate that because there's probably years where I was like, ah, it's annoying. People are annoying. You know what I mean? Uh, and then you realize, oh, no, no, people are the path to every great thing that I want in my life, right? Mm -hmm. Uh in community with others, that stuff has mm. to happen. So the balance has to be, what do I need in my alone time so that I can bring my best self to being in community? And then what do I need in my community time so I can go and reflect and learn when I'm with myself, you know? Mm. I love that. And what resonates there is just this idea of like, 
again, you stopping and asking yourself questions, mm-hmm. right? Like the power of choosing your next thought wisely, right? Because mm-hmm. really at the end of the day, that's, that's all we can control. And it's interesting that if you simply remind yourself that all you can do, like you said, is what is required of me right now? Mm-hmm. It's interesting how you can actually then give others and yourself your best energy enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah. My framing for that, it, and this is really intentional for me. And and as mm-hmm. I've gotten more into coaching in the last few years, and even just uh, in the sports of our, our children that, that I don't coach is being really, really purposeful in like setting an intention for what I'm about to do. Right. And so setting an intention has, I don't know, you get the whiff of yoga and, you know, new age philosophies and things. But what I really mean is when I go to this place in the next five or 10 minutes, what do I need to be there? And even more importantly, what do I want to be there? Right. And especially for someone like me who like, I coach some of our kids sports, I train some of our children, you know, so I'll use going to my kids sports as an example, but it it works in, I got a meeting coming up. I've got a podcast coming up. I've you know, got a difficult conversation to have with my daughter coming up. You have to go meet the teacher at school coming up. Uh, I've got to meet with my boss coming up. It's who do I want to be in this next interaction? You know, what Mm -hmm. energy do I want to bring? And this is, you don't have to get out your journal, you know, Uh, you just think about it on the way. And so an example for me often is, okay, as a, as a coach, you know, I, I'm, giving instructions, asking questions, et cetera, of my children in a particular sport context. And then maybe they go play another sport and then I'm going to go stand on the sideline and watch, right? Do I need to show up differently? Absolutely. Of course, we all know that. Will I show up differently? Only if I've set the intention to, Mm. right? Uh, So normally when I go to watch our children play sports, my intention is something like, I'm not required today to talk to my child, the coach, the referee, or the other parents about the game. Today, I'm here to enjoy the experience of watching my child have joy, moving their body, and playing a sport that they like. That's it. So shut your mouth, sit on your hands, right? Um, And that's who you need to be and want to be today because you've seen Mm -hmm. the people who aren't being that, and it's embarrassing. for You're embarrassed for them. Um, and then after the game, what's my role? Is it to discuss every, every play and how it went and how they can do better? Uh, or is it to uh, give them love and support, um, see how they felt about the experience and be open to any conversation they want to have or none about that? Um, if I don't set those intentions, it could go the wrong way. It could go away. I don't want it to go. And it was interesting listening to you, you know, just how simple your question was, but how powerful it was like, who do I want to be? So I love Mm -hmm. that simple reframe. Um, So I'm curious as you Mm -hmm. have, yeah, as you have integrated that simple idea, that, that, that really simple practice, as you've integrated that into your life, how what have you noticed in terms of your leadership, either, you know, professionally, personally, kind of in any area of your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, number one, it's, it's really helpful for me 
as a bit of a compass, right? And and it doesn't have to be the same compass all the time, right? So it doesn't matter the situation that I'm about to go into, right? It, you know, and I gave the examples of going to youth sports. I think maybe a lot of listeners can identify with that if they're in coaching themselves or if they have children who play sports. Um, but I mean, it's equally important to use it in a leadership setting, in a work setting, in a relationship setting. You know, uh, my wife and I are about to have a difficult conversation about something. Who do I need and want to be? What do I want the outcome to be here? Um, and um, so number one, it, it helps me mentally prepare. Uh, I, I can remember back to a time where I was afraid of difficult conversations. Oh, how's it going to go? You play all of these scenarios in your head, uh, usually involving what the other person will say, right? Well, what are they going to say? And then what will I say to that? And you can chase down this ridiculous rabbit hole of theoretical conversation. Or you can just say, who do I want to be? What's a great outcome here, right? And then it doesn't matter what words are said, you know? Um, right now, our children are, they go to challenging academic school and they're in the middle of exams, right? So I've been helping them study this week for their exams, right? So they're not only studying for exams, they're learning to study as, as people they're, for the first time, you know, especially our grade five, who this is his first year of exams. Um, they're learning how to study, how to think about studying, like a, a meta framework for learning and studying. And what children do at that stage is, you know, they try and memorize the answer, right? What are the exact combinations of words, the magical incantation that's correct for this scenario? And adults do that too, too far too often, right? Uh, this meeting's coming up. What are the, what incantation will I say to get my team believing in the vision? You know, uh, I've got to speak at an event coming up. What magical combination of words should I memorize so that I don't sound like an idiot, so that I can provide positive influence, so I can motivate people or whatever? And as, as you go through the journey, though, you learn that there isn't a magical incantation, um, that there's a way of being that accomplishes that regardless of what words stumble out of your mouth in the moment, you know? So it's really helped like de-stress nearly every upcoming scenario because I can just say, okay, cool. What, what's the vibe I want to give here? What's the intention that I have for this? What energy do I want to bring? As you're sharing there, you talk about how this idea of like prompting yourself with questions, you know, setting an intention, being clear on what it is you actually want is a simple principle that really can help you lead in any area of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I mean, there's ways to extend it as well. Sort of you talked about what the benefits are and how it's influenced my life. And, uh, you know, I talked about de-stressing. Mm -hmm. sort of providing me with a compass for every situation rather than a script for every situation because there's too many situations in life you'll face you can't have a script for them but you just need to know who you want to be and, and and what you want the outcome to be and then you put your energy towards fulfilling that and you know at at work at precision nutrition over the years we had this thing called an impact filter and and you use the same principle for projects as well right so the impact filter was just a one sheet Okay. And it had a series of questions like this about an upcoming project, right? So it helped me as a leader of the company because, you know, 
at, at a certain point, you can't do all the work yourself anymore. You have teams that do that, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so you need to communicate your vision to those teams, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, how can you do that in a way that you make sure everyone gets it? You know, and how can you be clear in your communication of the vision and how you want it to unfold um, so that there are no, the things that are open to interpretation, you let your team do. And the things that aren't open to interpretation, you're clear and you give mm -hmm. the, your interpretation. So this is this tool and you can Google it. You can find it. Uh, Strategic Coach is a company that I uh, and my business partner, Phil, work with for a long time as we wanted to level up our own leadership game and strategic coach sort of, they came up with this idea of the impact filter, but it was just a series of questions that you could fill out on a single sheet that would spec out uh, what could be a huge, you know, multi-million dollar project. And it would just be like, what is the goal of this project? What is the best outcome if this project goes well? What is the worst outcome if this project goes badly? What are the five main tenants you want everyone to know about this project? And so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> now, so uh, for those listening in, uh, probably the drops will be edited out, but uh, my power went out once, my internet went out once, and now there's a man blowing leaves just outside my window. Uh, none of which was scheduled for today, by the way. So <laughs> apologies for all the distractions. But um, yeah, so so this idea of setting an intention, it can sound very small and like a throwaway little thing. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. Think about what how you want this situation to go. But mm -hmm. this scales from, you know, uh, I'm about to have lunch with my 11-year-old. You know, what, what's my intention for that experience? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so that it, it it can be as positive as we both want it to be, uh, all the way to we're about to launch a $10 million project at work. Um, how does that be everything we want it to be? And how do we show up and be the best people collaborating, working together on this? And as you said, how, how do we make it fun? Like, how do we make it something that we want to do together? You know, mm -hmm. because uh, that's a thing we can often forget when the stakes are high. Mm -hmm. um, that, wait, uh, we have this one life, we have to do it with other people, mm -hmm. uh, instead of it being a joyless slog to the top of the, of the mountain, mm -hmm. can we, uh, make it worthwhile, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it just reminded me, I, I, a good friend of mine, uh, recently had his 40th birthday and we like to do a lot of like adventure and active trips together and so he wanted to climb a fourteen thousand foot peak he's done a number of them and for those who aren't into hiking and climbing uh there's a number of they call them 14ers so fourteen thousand peaks in north america and and some people make it a challenge to go do every one of them and i think he's done maybe 10. so we decided we were going to do pike's peak which is the uh the longest uh in terms of uh miles of of hiking uh, 14,000 foot peak. So it's essentially a marathon on a mountain. It's, it's 13, 14 miles up and 13, 14 miles back down. Um, so we went to do that on his 40th birthday weekend. And about three quarters of the way through it, you know, most of our hikes in our time together had been fun. You know, we, we were there with good friends, we're talking, we're laughing, we're having a good experience being in community with each other, taking breaks talking about life, having a snack, whatever. Uh, 
about half to three quarters away on this this particular hike as we got to ten thousand feet, it stopped being fun at all, you know. And it just became like the worst experience of all of our lives. You know, every mm -hmm. step was just a slog. Um, we weren't talking. We couldn't talk anymore. We were out of breath, you know, so it was just hours and hours of joyless progression, you know, and it just was a great metaphor and reminder for how you don't want, you know, long stretches of your life to be. I set a big goal. I'm a competitive person. I like having high achievement. So let's summit this mountain. Well, wait a second. Let's stop and enjoy the view. No, we got to get to the top, you know? Um, and and um, the posture that I most envision is the one where you're so focused ahead and you're suffering because you've made it joyless and you throw your elbows up. So it's get away from me. We just give me enough space. So I can keep this discipline and fortitude to get to the top. Uh, and that's, that's when you're doing it wrong. Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting to hear your introspection and why it resonates with me is I, I, we celebrated a family birthday, um, last weekend. And it was interesting that through that, uh, my aunts and my mother and I had a conversation on just my upbringing. And it was interesting that in my life, what I've found over the last few years is that I've come to discover that some of the best lessons were actually observing what I don't want, you know, and, mm -hmm. and part of those and some of those lessons were experiencing what I don't want. And, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of, you know, discomfort and pain. But it's interesting that as I've learned to understand that I needed to go through that, Mm -hmm. to actually discover what I do want, right? The polar opposite. So it's really interesting how you share sometimes this idea, like lessons can be sort of, <laughs> reminders can come in lots of different ways. They're not always sunshine mm -hmm. and rainbows. Very often they are, you know, ones that put us in painful and uncomfortable situations. Absolutely. You know, and 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 uh, once you've had them and and then you practice gratitude for the experience of having them, you still don't want the pain in the future. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like it's human nature to be like, no, that sucked. I, I'm glad I learned it. Let's not do that again. But life will continue to remind you in all sorts of ways, you know, ab about how to be a better parent, about how to be a better coach. And I think you just have to be open about the learning part, right? So you don't sometimes have a choice about the pain part, but you do have a choice about what comes after, right? Do we complain mm -hmm. that it happened? Do we say, oh, thank goodness, I'm never going to think about that again, because it sucked and, and it hurt either mm -hmm. psychically or physically? Or um, like, let, let me extract and squeeze every possible growth, learning lesson, uh, positive development from that, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's fun, because I'm, you know, <clears throat> it's interesting to think about how you might do that as an adult. But as a coach, I often think about how can I start building the foundation of that ability in our athletes, mm -hmm. right? You, you, you want to, uh, if you see it as your mission to help your athletes achieve high performance, if you see it as your mission to help athletes, young athletes learn and grow into themselves as they get older, mm -hmm. uh, if you see it as your mission to help them become quote unquote, better humans and community members, uh, these are skills they need to learn. And 
um, I, I don't know whether they're learning them at home. I don't know whether they're learning them at school. So there's maybe an opportunity for us to do that together, to do that work together. So, you know, right now I've been building out little systems to help do that, you know, like, so I have this, I came up with this idea recently. So for the month of December, we're doing this sort of uh, bingo card for our uh, nine and under uh, flag football team. So we were like a competitive you know, rep, travel team, whatever. And uh, it's a new group. So I ju we just put it together this year. And so uh, I got the idea because we were touring high schools. So our oldest daughter is about to go to high school next year. And uh, we went around to high schools and they had this cool bingo card thing where basically uh, if you go to all the classrooms they want you to see, you get a stamp at each one. And so it encourages everyone to it gamifies, you know, the idea of like, visit all the cool places in our school. So you don't just come hear the speeches and then go home. Right. So, so we were doing that. And I was like, that's a really cool idea to motivate people because all the kids who might otherwise be apathetic about like having the whole tour experience were like super motivated to get all the stamps. And then they had a prize mm -hmm. at the end, right. For the people who completed the thing. So I was like, that's cool. Uh, that's a cool little, like, doesn't require technology to gamify an experience. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I've been wanting to get uh, our athletes to do some homework. I, I record some plays and I analyze them and stuff and, you know, mark them up, you know, chalk talk essentially. Uh, and there's certain like homework I want them to do to enhance their own flag football game. But then there's also certain behaviors I think we should embody as a, as a sporting community. So I basically make this bingo card, right? So it's it's 30 squares with different behaviors that I want them to practice outside of practice and have a parent sign off on. And if they complete one row, they get a small prize. And if they complete multiple, they get a medium prize. And if they complete the whole thing over the month of December, they get a bigger prize, right? So the question is, how do I break down some of the things like being open to feedback, uh, learning from mistakes, um, being a positive contributor, practicing gratitude. Like what would it look like to ask a kid to do something toward that, right? Buy a gratitude journal and write 10 things you're grateful for every day is maybe too much of a reach, you know? But what is the building block of that? And this is one of the things I've had a lot of fun with in my career because I used to create curricula for health and fitness professionals, you know, and for coaching clients, right? So, and the game was always, how do you break down a complicated thing, behavior or way of being in the world into a little action that I can do today and say, did I do that? Yes or no, All right? Um, so uh, some examples of the things that appear on there are like review play analysis one through three on our YouTube channel. Another thing is uh, write a thank you note to a coach, parent, or teacher. Uh, another one is um, review this play formation, right? And each of the roles that each person has to fill. And pay particular note to the roles that aren't yours, right? So you can think about what it means for a successful play in community together, right? Another one is um, show good sportsmanship to a teammate uh, or opponent. 
Um, you know, another, another one is as simple as like, make your bed every day for five days this week, you know? So we're just thinking about like, how can you, uh, in your staff, in yourself, in your family, in your teams, build up the skills at the level of skill those folks are at at the moment to, um, eventually trend toward being the kind of community we want with the kind of values that we want, right? Mm -hmm. And it starts with yourself and then it can start to permeate out to those folks around you. And uh, I'm happy to report that the kids absolutely love this activity, right? They, every practice, they show me how much they've done so far and they tell me what things that they, like what specific and who they wrote the note to. I got some notes, they were really sweet. Um, But it all maps back to this, thing, right? This is, this is leadership. You know, this is being in community. This is coaching. This is parenting. It's all the things, you know, Mm -hmm. how do we help people? First of all, help ourselves break down complex things into the simplest action you can take Mm -hmm. that will build the skill of being grateful. I can't make you grateful, right? I can't say JT, you need to be grateful for the things in your life, right? If, if you don't have the ability to recognize the things that are good, the things that other people don't have, then you can't be grateful. But could I give you two or three actions over the course of the next couple months that help you recognize and build that awareness? Like, oh, wait a second. This crappy thing happened today, but these four things good happened and I didn't even notice them. So how can we get you noticing them? And that's b- before gratitude, it's awareness, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can say, oh, I'm aware of the good things. Cool. Can I think about maybe how other people don't have them or how I'm lucky to have them? Cool. And if I think about that, does that make me feel lucky? Does that make me feel like, oh, that's pretty cool. I could have gotten something really crappy, but I got this instead. Oh, that feeling is gratitude. All right. We built it up over three steps, you know? Mm. I love that on on so many different levels, brother. You know, it's interesting, you know, it, it's like you were sharing, it's taking theories, which can sometimes be complex and, and clunky, but then mm-hmm. turning them into practice, right? Which are simple mm-hmm. focused actions. Love that. You also brought up an interesting idea that, you know, often, you know, as human beings, we assume people see the world as we do, or they've had the same lived experience. So mm-hmm. I love how the simple practice of giving each athlete each coach a card actually empowers them to take action Mm -hmm. and how cool is that that you have them so energized and enthused that they share their wins with you right like just Mm -hmm. just just allowing them to understand that they can be catalysts of change in their own life like so many valuable cool things happening there brother Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's a load of fun you know and I, and the and the experiences part is is really I, I want to seize on that a little bit because when you walk into any scenario that has people and that's going to be most of the scenarios in your life unless you're hiding inside a book like I want to do most of the time, <laughs> um, you don't really know what their upbringing is like. You don't know really what's happening in their lives, and 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 these are cliches, right? Like, um, but at the same time, if you have to work together, it has to be built into how you collaborate. You know, so I'll give the coaching example, right? So a thing I've realized in coaching young athletes 
um, is that at the ages I have coached, which is usually between eight and 12, the best athletes typically share one or two things in common. Again, just at this age, uh, I think it starts to change as you get into the teenage years. Uh, number one, they have an older sibling that plays the sport. Uh, number two, you still with me, JT? Looks like you're frozen a little bit. Good. Okay, cool. So yeah. So uh, number one is they have an older sibling that plays a sport. And number two, or or number two, like sometimes it's both, uh, they have a parent who really knows the sport well and like talks about them with it, you know? And so what what does that mean? Like why, why, are, why are those things happening, right? And anyone who coaches youth sport knows, like I was telling a friend this the other day, he's like, you're right, man. He's like, it actually feels like an unfair advantage for the kids who have an older sibling who play the sport, right? Like it's like a performance enhancing drug, you know, uh, because they have someone to practice with every day. They have someone who's a little bit better than them to strive toward every day. You know, uh, they have failure to learn from every single day. Right. And then on the parent front, it's, they have someone to reflect on and build, uh, I guess, a mental framework around improvement. Right. And so if that parent knows the sport is willing to talk with them about it and provides a safe space for learning and growth. Now, all of a sudden, this child has two very unfair advantages, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so then I, I think about, okay, cool. I have some athletes who have that and I have others who don't, right? How can we build into our environment and our culture the ability for them to get some of it, although they don't have it at home? Like, can our environment provide that? Uh, can I do stuff for them outside of, you know, our our sporting time together? You know, I, I call them like extracurricular games that provide them with, them with those opportunities. Um, and then the same goes to teams. The same goes to um, any other environment that you're walking into. And, and you know, because this is a coaching related kind of leadership related podcasts, I'll use some coaching examples, but uh, in general, it works in all scenarios. Like what are the common characteristics of high performers at whatever level we're talking about? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's this, this environmental thing that we have no control over, right? Cool. But do we have no control? Like, can we give the people who are at a disadvantage an advantage with not a lot of extra work on our part? You know, so think a lot about that. Um, so understanding the, the situations that people come from, but I mean, it's not as onerous as I have to know every person on my team's unique scenario. I have to know every player on my team's, you know, challenges at home. Uh, I don't, uh, no one's asking for that. That, that might be too onerous and too overwhelming and too big of a task. Um, but the shortcut is, well, think about what gifts the highest performers usually have at that level, what people might, which members of your team might not have that. And then how do we supplement them, you know, so that they can achieve at a high level, you know? You know, it's interesting, you know, hearing you share, it's a great reminder on, you know, this idea. Again, you're an educator at heart. Right. It's mm -hmm. interesting. It's like giving people what they need 
so they can get to where they want to go, right? And anyone who's spent any time in education, coaching, leadership knows that that's always the game that we're playing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so I'm curious, I want to be respectful of your time and energy. Um, as I was saying before we got started, I feel you and I could probably record for hours, but I, I know I want to be mindful of your time. Um, you know, one of the things that sort of sparked, you know, our reconnection was this idea of, you know, you've become a leader in in this space, right? You're coaching your kids in flag football. You also have this beautiful blend of uh, professional experience, right? In the research side of things in terms of turning theory into practice, you know, and, and our conversations really revolved around like, what does high performance look like moving forward, right? right. Like, you know, where, are the, you know, what are we doing well? Where are the gaps? What do you see as being kind of the next step for us to be able to really um, give our athletes and our coaches what they need to really take this idea of high performance to the next level? If we're mm. specifically speaking flag football, per se. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, wh- when I think about high performance, I, the, you know, I've worked in elite sport, you know, I've worked at, you know, in, in, in the NFL and NBA and, you know, Olympic sport. And so I've seen, that's what we think of when we think about high performance. Often we think about an environment or a culture of the best players in the world, training, learning, competing. But as you know, like a high performance environment has to be like reverse engineered back to a seven-year-old. You know what I mean? Like that's what a high performance environment looks like. We have to think about, um, you know, are we even attracting the best athletes to our sport in the first place? You know? So if you think about flag, for example, you know, let's say Canada doesn't have an elite flag football environment again, and you can insert soccer or rugby or whatever here, uh, until there's flags in every grade school and they learn it in phys ed. It doesn't happen until, um, you know, I'm down in Niagara. So the district school board of Niagara, they have track meets, they have volleyball tournaments, you know, they have all their sports elite flag football high performance doesn't happen until the schools are competing against each other, right? There's flags in every school. They learn it in phys ed. Schools put together a team. They play five or six games like they do in soccer or volleyball, you know, at the at the school level. Um, it doesn't happen until kids are doing flag, you know, and they're competing at flag. And we're able to look and go to the DSBN or the Toronto School Board or wherever and look and say, who are the best athletes here playing? You know, Um, so I think it starts there, right? And then as we attract the best athletes to the sport um, and they get exposures early and they have loads of fun with it early and we can see where the best players are coming out of at each age division, you know, then we can start talking about things like measuring, like what is unique about the high performers in this sport? right? You do a little literature re- review on, let's say, tackle football, and there's there's good data on this, right? Um, you look at, four, you know, I mean, most of the assessments and combines look at 40 times in agility and strength and, and those kind of things, right? But uh, I mean, some of the more progressive labs are looking at cognitive skills that are unique to high performing, let's say, D1 football players. And there's like, 
some cool labs doing some stuff on like task distraction and other skills. Like uh, an example of that would be they have ways of measuring in the lab when chaos enters your visual field. Can you stay focused on the thing that you're supposed to stay focused on visually and cognitively? And lo and behold, the best D1 football players do better than controls or even lower tier football players. So they have a way of visually honing in on the most important task that they've been given in a moment and being almost undistractable by chaos, right? In their visual field. We see reaction time differences. We see all these things that you would consider like Traditionally, football would consider the intangibles, right? Uh, and they were only called that because we didn't describe them ever. We didn't know what they were, what they were called, right? So it's it's like um, what makes a great football player? Good 40 time, uh, good agility, um, good strength, and magic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so the magic is actually starting to be defined. And lo and behold, it's not magic. It's like agility but it has to do with cognitive and visual and reaction time. Uh, so, I mean, it's a long way of saying once we find the better players and, and they've developed and they have had time to play in this environment uh, and they've like been attracted to it, you know, as much as they've been pushed towards it, mm -hmm. um, then you say, who's, who's excelling? Okay, let's describe them. Let's measure them. What's different about their vision? What's different about their movement? Uh, what's different about their cognition, you know? Uh, and now we can start recruiting for that as we search the country for a provincial team, national team, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then at that stage, right, uh, once we've found the best, so I guess A is getting the best athletes to want to do your sport, right? Mm -hmm. And they're not they're not doing soccer, they're doing this, right? They're mm -hmm. not playing hockey, they're doing this. You know, every country has their thing, right? And in Canada, for example, where are the best athletes going? It's probably hockey, you know, probably the top athletes are mostly drawn toward that sport. And it's no surprise when, you know, in league play uh, for flag, some of the best teams that show up are an entire hockey team who decide to play flag football in the off season, right? And I've seen that over and over again. I'm like, what's this group? They're like, oh, they're not even really football players. They're they're hockey guys, and they just wanted to do this as like cross-training in the off-season. Like, oh, yeah, of course, right? So the best athletes are over there most of the time, and they just come here for cross-training. How can we get them to want to come here first? You know, yeah. and uh, there's steps. I mean, there's pathways that we can create for that. So that, to me, you know, again, we reverse engineer from the best athletes competing at the world championships all the way down to that, two generations, three generations from now, six, seven, eight-year-olds being exposed. And just, you know, for me, step one is, um, can can we partner with the NFL to get flags to every grade school, you know, every public grade school in Canada, right? Is that, and that may be a stupid, unrealistic, too big picture of a vision, but I think it kind of begins with things like that. And that at each stage we say, attracting, like, introducing the best, uh, attracting the best, uh, identifying, so describing, then identifying. And then we start talking about like, what do high performance training environments look like once we have a team selected? 
Uh, and I think there's lots of great models for that already, right? And maybe that's a whole nother podcast. Like, how do you, yeah, coach select? Do you do uh, a, like bring everyone to a single center for training, or do you let them train separately? You know, these these are things that have been debated and, and worked out in Olympic sport, for example, for a lot of a lot of million years. You know, yeah. um, but for me, I actually like thinking about all the way at the beginning. Yeah, I love it. Um, and what resonated was this idea of, it's interesting in the last, you know, year or two, we've actually seen an influx of, you know, the NFL Canada really working with us to, to be able to, uh, work alongside football interior to get more flag kits into schools at the grassroots, like you were mm -hmm. saying. So we get more kids yeah. exposed, exposed to having fun with it, actually finding joy and just, you know, play mm -hmm. and, it's... And I'm curious, um, have they like provided education for the phys ed teachers? Like, are there, is there a packet with, you know, how to roll out flag football into your phys ed program? Yeah, there has been. And and the interesting part is now, you know, obviously the last few years have reminded us that, you know, in-person is great. It allows us to build connection, but there's a lot of wonderful tools that allow us to, you know, digital ones. Uh, apps that actually can, you know, say you get a teacher that has the best intention, wants to do it, wants to get their students and kids moving, but just doesn't know where to start. There are right. some tools that are coming now. Now it becomes sort of the education piece about yeah. actually letting people know this support is out there, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be messy, as you know, but yeah. as long as we set the intention that, hey, let's provide a meaningful experience, let's get kids out moving, having fun everything else is, 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 yeah, it's going to be a blessing. Right. One of the, uh, one of the things I saw recently, uh, I don't know if you know the playmaker app. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, this guy who runs a flag football league in the States, uh, partnered with some folks to create an app. It's a base. It's kind of like a often used as a play designer, but, um, what he's done is he's created like prepackaged play sets and tutorial videos around them. So he runs a league. He's got a couple thousand participants, right? Uh, who are the coaches going to be in that kind of a house league? They're going to be parent volunteers. So every parent volunteer gets like a pre-programmed play set when they begin. Um, and it's out of this app. And I, I have no affiliation with Playmaker app or whatever. I just saw it and thought it was really cool. Mm -hmm. Signed up for it watched all his tutorial videos and was like, man, like this is um, three, four years of coaching education in two, three hours, right? Like they get a playbook, a base playbook, which they can adjust through the app. They get a tutorial on each play. There's video demonstrations of those plays in action because this guy runs a league. So he's filmed it and he shows it, right? There's instructions for each player and how to coach each player. Um, it's not a big onerous education process, right? It's just a couple hours of video to watch and, and some tools to look at. And I was just really impressed with my point being how much you can do with so little time and not a tremendous amount of resources in, in terms of taking, let's say, a volunteer parent from someone who's like, I played football, but eh, never coached it to... Uh, a baseline level of competency with uh, not a high bar in terms of time, commitment, 
financial expense uh, or, you know, trial and error learning, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's here, here you go. Now build from that. Now adjust the plays, you know, now think about your unique players and your unique ages and environments. Yeah. Lots of great stuff. And you know, what's interesting. I think it's a perfect time for us to plant the seeds on we're going to bring you back for another conversation because I feel like there is so much I still want to unpack with you. But, yeah. uh, so brother, uh, I'm curious, uh, is there, I know you've kind of just sort of made your way back onto social platforms. Uh, is there anything that we can do to help or support, or if anyone kind of wants to learn more about how, you know, you're applying some of these theories into your coaching practice is there anything we can do to help or support or people can learn more anywhere people can learn yeah more? Uh, i don't i don't really have anything to sell i don't okay you know i don't really have anything like that but uh but you know i have i have a uh dr john berardi you know dot com website that uh that sort of talks about the stuff i've done for those curious about my career and experiences and and then jumping off points for the places like if you're interested in nutrition you can jump on over to precision nutrition and stuff from there uh and then i i have uh you know uh instagram uh that i and facebook that i post on as you said i i uh i took a year plus hiatus from social media posting i sold my company in 2017 had a year of transition handing off leadership to the folks who were taking over uh and then we just took our kids out of school and homeschooled and did sports and did family stuff. So I was essentially a homeschooling, stay at home, full-time dad for years. Uh, so then I, I didn't need to be on socials and doing any of that kind of stuff. But uh, recently the kids are getting older. And so we have them in a school environment this year. And so I've, I've started posting on social again. So yeah, I'm, I'm posting semi-regularly about the kind of things that I'm up to and the kind of things that I'm thinking about. Um, again, sometimes a uh, superpower, sometimes a kryptonite, you know, as I get excited about new things, my first instinct is like, Oh, I got to go share this with everyone. Right. And then it can become an all consuming thing. So I often have to dial myself back and say, Hey, you have nothing to sell here. You don't have to productize this. You don't have to commercialize this. Uh, you're doing this for fun. You're doing this for growth. You're doing this for evolution as a person. Uh, so sometimes I pop in there and share some things. Sometimes I don't. Uh, so folks can come join me on the journey or not. It's all good. Okay. Um, brother, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you. I want to acknowledge you for the great man you are, the great husband, the great dad, the great teacher, coach, and mentor. But more importantly, the amazing human being you are. Uh, like I shared with you before we went live here, you have had such an important role in, in my journey. You know, again, we first connected when you were a TA in my fourth year uh, nutrition course. And, you know, through, you know, serendipitous events, you know, you were roommates living at the time with our mutual friend who was also one of my teammates at Western. And, and just, you were one of the people in my life that really sparked an interest and curiosity and wanting to learn and grow. Like, Again, I still remember Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. nutrition course. Like not the easiest place to go to when you're in your early 20s and you're you mm -hmm. know, away from home and having the fun, <laughs> fun parts of university. But you inspired me to want to get up 
and and actually go to class because I was interested in learning. So I just wanted to thank you uh, for being integral in my uh, journey and, and just thank mm-hmm. you for inspiring others to develop a lifelong passion for learning. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And special shout out to Dr. Peter Lampman, who was my mentor at the time and was the head instructor of that course, who was been very influential in my life. I don't know if you've all have been able to connect since then, but, um, but uh, actually coaching lessons, some of my most important coaching lessons uh, have come from him uh, because mm-hmm. in addition to being a world-renowned nutrition and exercise researcher, right around the time I was finishing at Western, he took over as women's uh, softball mm-hmm. head coach. Uh, that's coming up on 20 years now. I think they've won 12 or 15 national championships during that time. Uh, and he had never coached softball before that. Um, and so there'd been a lot of, so every year I go back to Western and I speak at a community summit that he puts on and I'll, I'll do that as long as he puts that on. Cause, um, he did so much for me. Mm. Um, and so I always like to pick his brain about coaching now, you know, he taught me about academics and nutrition and biochemistry and physiology. Uh, and now it's, well, wait a second. How did you start coaching women's softball for the first time and over 20 years win 15 national championships like what is happening there right like people should be talking to him about that now you know and he's got some great lessons that i ported over with me as well so shout out to to peter lemon who's been influential in a lot of people's lives absolutely so folks dr variety dropped so many valuable nuggets of wisdom that will not only help you succeed in sport, but more importantly, in the game of life. But as I like to remind you every week in the huddle, knowledge is potential power. It's a consistent and focused application of great knowledge that actually creates greater results. So my challenge to you is to take one of these valuable nuggets of wisdom and go apply it to your life today. And as I like to remind you every week in the huddle, You are deserving of greatness. You are worthy of greatness. You are greatness. And my only ask from these conversations, if it resonated with you, if it touched your heart, then please share it with a friend, a loved one, a teammate, just someone you feel that would benefit from listening to these positive, inspiring, and empowering ideas. The more people we have listening, understanding, and applying these simple principles to their life, the more blessed this world will be. As always, love having these conversations with you in the huddle. Have a blessed rest of your day.